Nights with Simon Lim on 1FM 91.3. Night Call with Simon Lim. Tonight on my show, my special guest on the line is Fiona O'Sullivan, counselor from In Contact Counseling and Training. Now, Fiona has over 20 years of experience, you know, teaching, counseling, and training in Ireland. Singapore, yes. Germany, China, and the UK, and she holds a master's degree and a diploma in counseling. Hi, Fiona. Welcome to my show. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Now, Fiona, why did you start by telling me about in contact counseling and training in Singapore? You know, you're one of the two founders. So, what led mm. to the genesis of in contact counseling? So In Contact Counting is a boutique private practice that was established in 2016. As you said, there are two directors, myself and Artie, and we have a team of eight. Our mission was to advocate mental health in the local and expat community. Our counseling um, journey career started in a local voluntary welfare organization, and there we saw the need and opportunity to uh, establish an integrative holistic practice. We were aware at the time that many counseling centers were aimed more towards expat, and we wanted to create a space and a company that dealt with both. Um, we have a diverse team who are very uh, experienced in working with all different cultures. We are very professional and love to give a personalized service. Um, we like to advocate away from the label of mental health and look more at brain health and all the issues that can cause that to be an issue, something from you know, nutrition, from sleep, from different things like that. I like that brain health here. And there are all sorts of issues that your clients may face, right? From anxiety, uh, depression, trauma, grief and loss uh, to couples, uh, counselling and even stress and burnout. Maybe even life transitions and anger management. But let's talk about self-esteem issues. What's the journey like for, let's say, a client who has lost his or her job and is feeling lost, uh, hopeless, and even ashamed that they're not able to, you know, get another full-time uh, corporate job. So what is your approach in helping someone in such a situation? From the question you've asked, Simon, there are two sort of issues at hand, the self-esteem issues and the loss of a job. Yes. So they can be interconnected or they can stand alone and have their own triggers. So let's say we're talking about someone who has self-esteem issues and has lost their job. So losing a job, loss of a job is a life trigger, and this can have similar emotions to grief. So I would help the person look at the stage of grief that they are in and come to terms with the loss of this and see how they can Mm -hmm. cope with it. It seems that disappointment is an emotion too that can cause hopelessness and loss, and this needs to be explored. My focus area then for the individual would be to look at the grief and the loss also to look at how they've dealt with grief in the past because people have a lot more strength mm-hmm. and that would bring them into looking at their strengths and what they how they can use that then it would be to build this uh, the bridge between the self-esteem and the loss of the job and then forge ahead with new ways to respond to the disappointment so that the client will feel empowered and that they have hope looking forward to the future. And you know, burnout appears to be very much something that could happen to someone who works in a fast-paced city uh, like Singapore. Now, what are the telltale signs that someone is suffering from burnout? And how do you help to get, you know, such a patient to bounce back and be on track? Well, we see clients with burnout coming more and more into our office, but the good thing happening now is that the client is more aware of the signs of burnout. Mm. So what are the common signs we see? They can be from fatigue, lack of motivation, lack of focus, brain fog, 
overreacting and emotional, not sleeping, anxiety. And a lot of our clients tell us that they feel like zombies, mm. that they are just functioning without any emotion or purpose. They also have a lack of joy and purpose in their life. So when we see this happening, then we decide, how do we start? So our first approach would be to send them to a doctor so we can verify some of the physical symptoms in order to help with the brain health, right? So looking at sleep, looking at nutrition, maybe looking at addictive patterns that someone can lean in on, you know, alcohol, whatever, when they're feeling that stress. Then we need to find the cause of the stress. Where did this originate from? And everyone has a different place. And then we look at their current behaviors. So how much time are they spending at work? How much time at self-care? How much time are they giving to their families? Because these are all areas that we need to have in order to keep ourselves in balance. So we are looking at them creating healthy transitions between perhaps work and fun and play, because people tend to forget the fun element. So this is just some of the way, but the biggest thing would be looking at the values that they have and how they may be in sort of struggling with what they're doing and what they're working through and helping them to realign those values with the work that they do. That's very important, realigning your values, right? To yes. feel more, yeah. you know, at ease and a mm. reaffirmation of yourself. Um, I need you to stay with me right here on the show because I have plenty of questions for you. So stay connected to one of them, 91. Okay. Yes, I would. Thanks, Simon. Night call with Simon Lim. This evening, my special guest on the line is Fiona O'Sullivan, a registered counselor from In Contact Counseling and Training. Now, Fiona has over 20 years of qualified counseling and training experience. And Fiona, one of them, 91.3 listeners may be undergoing a transition in life, as in, you know, aging in their 40s, 50s, and beyond. In other words, he or she may feel that they've lost their youth their vitality or even looks, right? And maybe even relevance in a rapidly changing digital world. So for someone who feels inadequate in today's world, what advice would you give this person to work on his or her self-esteem? I can relate to this age bracket because I am in there, right? Okay, I think a lot of our listeners are. In my late sort of 50s, right? My biggest learning professionally and personally at this stage is to celebrate and be grateful for the stage that I am in. I once watched a beautiful documentary about a Japanese man who was 107 and he was interviewed about what is his biggest regret in life. And he said that he regretted the fact that at the age of 80, he didn't realize how young he was. It's all about perspective. Mm. One of the things I suggest, and I highly suggest to my clients, is to limit their social media exposure because this can also be very detrimental to our self-esteem. We have choices about how we want to grow old, and I think that's the main thing, right? Mm -hmm. And we can make good and healthy choices. Often they're difficult, but unfortunately, whether we like it or not, we're getting old. And we have to minimize the things that we'll take from our self-esteem. Living in this digital age, that's one thing we need to do. It's also about, you know, acceptance, right? That you have to age no matter how, and that you're able to be comfortable in your own skin. So let's talk also about Anger management. How does someone who is easily angered or let's say agitated manage his or her uh, anger and emotions? And what's the line of thinking they should adopt? Well, let me start by saying that anger is a natural emotion. But most of us grow up in families where we experience anger that we're not allowed to express it. And then we have a negative connection with that feeling. Managing anger does not mean not expressing it. It just means that we need to find ways of constructively expressing it. And that means we have to be in alignment with our body language, our tone of voice, and the way that we express it. 
core work that we do with our clients is to find the stem of that anger. Where does that anger come from? And we all have different life experiences, so that's something we work on. Anger is the tip of the iceberg, and underneath that there are a lot of different emotions. Most of these emotions have unmet needs, and once the client can understand what these unmet needs are, it can help us then to sort of work constructively towards clearing them and understanding why we are with anger the way we are. Anger management also involves getting in touch with our bodies so that we're aware of the physiology of what's happening, the triggers that when we get angers, angry so that we can stop before we trigger. So we look at mindfulness, mind-body connection, awareness of unmet needs, better communication skills as part of the core work that we do with anger management. And depression is something that my listeners have either experienced firsthand or they know someone in the family who's suffering from depression. So when would the family know that the person is in a dangerous space? Okay, well, first of all, living with depression isn't easy, either for the person who is depressed or for the family. And I think of the analogy that we hear now that we're back flying on an airplane, that when the emergency mask is down, look after yourself first before someone else. And I think a core part of working with someone who is depressed is that we, the family members, have to learn how to deal with our emotions. So if I, as a parent, am watching and living with a child who is depressed, I have to learn to have space to deal with what I'm feeling so that I can be there for that child in a non-judgmental way and I can be calm. Then the next step would be to get support. I mean, whether that be to see a counsellor, to see a doctor or psychiatrist. There are many steps that we can take. And then I think it's also key to say that it is a systemic approach that we have to take and that everyone in a family has to get involved and they need to encourage the recovery of the person. Now, what does happen when we see somebody you know, not improving after perhaps a lot of help has been taken place, lots of things happened and nothing is changing? perhaps the way they are presenting themselves, perhaps they're caring less about the, how they look, maybe they're isolating themselves more in their room, they're not communicating very coherently. But the biggest tip I can give is the person who is the main caregiver, they have to trust their gut feeling and go with that if they feel that something has changed. Mm. They are the expert around the person with whom they're living. Thank you so much for the insight. And the show is not over because I have some more parts with you right here on the show. Fiona O'Sullivan is my special guest this evening. She's a registered counsellor from In Contact Counselling and Training. So stay with us right here on 1FM 91.3. Night Call with Simon Lim. On the line with me is my special guest, Fiona O'Sullivan, a registered counsellor from In Contact Counselling and Training. Now, Fiona, in counselling clients who are experiencing grief and loss, how do you ascertain the degree of the condition? And typically, is there a window period in overcoming grief or loss? There is no black and white approach to ascertaining the degree of grief that someone's experiencing. Everyone experiences grief differently. However, we can keep in consideration the time of the, since the loss has happened, the stage of grief that the person is in, the complexity of the grief and their general ability to function, whether they are able to keep down a job and look after their family and do the daily things they normally can. And to look at any negative impacts perhaps that grief has had on them, whether they have any addictive behaviours like drinking more, perhaps you know gambling, doing whatever to sort of hide that grief. 
And typically, the question you ask me, is there a window period in overcoming mm -hmm. the grief? I would like to replace overcoming the grief with learning to live with the loss. Um, I believe that working with a lot of clients, that there is no fixed time window period, and it depends on the individual, the individual and the complexity of the grief. And sometimes old uh, triggers can be re-triggered when we experience grief. We see, for example, if we're called out for a crisis situation where there is a sudden death and perhaps people who don't even know the person feel you know, their grief, that's because it all has been re-triggered. And there's a beautiful old Irish saying that says, they are not gone from us, but gone before us. And in a way we have, you know, there's lots of things we can do to help support us in this grief process. I like that saying, you know, the Irish saying, it's really meaningful. Yeah. And there are couples, you know, who divorce only after their kids are grown up. As in, you know, their kids are now working adults in their 20s and 30s. Why do you think this is so? And if someone is in their late 40s or 50s um, and they're thinking of leaving their spouse, what would you advise? Okay, well, we see that marriage isn't easy. People don't like to invest in their marriage. And when children come along, their marriage becomes focused more on the children. And then when the children leave home, the foundation of parenting is no longer at the core. And suddenly two people have themselves to look at each other again. So John and Julie Goffman, who are relationship therapists, talk about creating a second marriage. But naturally, this takes a lot of time and investment in the relationship. And to be honest, Simon, not everybody is prepared to put in that work. Then perhaps comes divorce or separation. Um, and what if you're in your 50s or 40s and you're thinking about, you know, do I stay or do I go? I think the first thing you need to, I would ask somebody is, can you remember the good times in this relationship? Why did you fall in love? Let's retrace those steps to see, is there anything still there? And then to see whether it's worth both of them investing in rebuilding this marriage. It's important to evaluate and explore what went wrong and why we have arrived in the space we are in in our relationship. And also, even if we do end the relationship, it's important to do this because there's, this helps us with the processing of shame, and sadness and guilt if we do exit the relationship. Can the emptiness syndrome lead to loneliness and depression? You know, let's say for a single parent, what are some telltale signs that the single parent needs psychotherapy? Yes, I think um, that emptiness syndrome can lead to depression and loneliness, but not for many parents, not just for single parents. Emptiness syndrome um, is used to describe the sadness and sometimes distress that parents feel when their children move out. They're caught between wanting to let go and wanting their kids to be independent. So what are the telltale signs? I don't think we need to wait until telltale signs appear. I think we can use counseling or therapy as a, a, a tool in which the, you know, someone can explore you know, the, all these changes and transitions that are happening in their life, how it's impacting them, and help them to create a vision and goal of their life moving forward not having their kids at the center of their world. So um, I think it's a reflective space that they can use and most people would benefit from that. We definitely recommend therapy for someone who is, is experiencing perhaps depression or anxiety during or after the transition of this phase of their life. Fiona O'Sullivan, she is my special guest this evening, a registered counsellor from In Contact Counselling and Training. So stay with us, Fiona. Yes, I will. Night Call. 
with Simon Lim. Still on the line with me is my special guest Fiona O'Sullivan, a registered counselor from In Contact Counseling and Training. And Fiona has over 20 years of qualified teaching, counseling and training in Ireland, Singapore, Germany, China and the UK. And she holds a master's degree and a diploma in counseling. Fiona, in this age that we live in, are you seeing more clients who need counseling to, you know, resolve communication issues? And how do you help your client to change his or her thinking or even behavior? Yes, we are seeing more clients with relational interpersonal issues that usually involve communication. Um, how do we help them? First thing we look at it, we need to understand what types of thinking um, are behavioral patterns and what are creating these communication issues. The origin of these thinking and behavioral patterns need to be looked at. And once we have sort of, it could be family of origin issues, it could be trauma that has created maladaptive thinking or behaviors. But once we have found the core origin of these ways of thinking and behaving, then and only then with the client's awareness can we start introducing new behavioral changes and alternative ways of thinking. And people look upon counselors and psychotherapists as if you know they have no problems of their own or they imagine an expert can solve their own problems you know with the snap of the finger. So what's one personal challenge that you have had to overcome yourself Fiona? Well, I think it's the biggest myth that counsellors have their lives together, just like doctors shouldn't get sick, right? <laughs> and we believe, we said our team go for professional help, just like I have gone in the past and will in the future if it needed. I think the biggest challenges I have had is when I came to Singapore over 20 years ago and I had my family here and to raise them without the support of my family mm. and then move on, you know, 20 years later and to watch my parents get old and that I wasn't there to help them. And I couldn't sort of, you know, I had dealt to deal with the guilt and the helplessness that I was at the other side of the world. And then when I go back, not knowing when I would see them again. I mean, it's a 22 hour journey door to door and then waiting for that inevitable call, which did come eventually. Now, sadly, I lost both of them, but before COVID and COVID then prevented me from going back, being able to go to the grave and being able to grieve with my family. So those were challenging times for me when I arrived and in the last few years. And Fiona, how would you define happiness? In my own words, I keep it simple. It's the ability to be joyful and to be grateful at some times, not all the times, but most of the time. And for me, when I get up in the morning and I'm able to do the things that I want to do, that I am healthy, that I have the energy and passion to go out and help people, this for me is happiness. It's about having balance in life. Mm -hmm. um, and no matter what, that's just the way, you know, we all have to find our own definition of happiness. And can you leave my listeners with, you know, a most meaningful quote, a quote that you believe in? In other words, the philosophy that you subscribe to in life. I think a beautiful quote that I learned when I was growing up, my mom used to say, this too shall pass. And I think the magic of these words, which teaches us the power of impermanence, nothing lasts forever, even bad things, and that we have to learn to live in the moment. And no matter where we are in life, things will change. And that has taught me a lot. And I think as the years have gone by, I've learned patience to be in the moment, 
and to know that change will always come. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for being my guest on the show, Fiona. Thank you so much, Simon, for having me.、It's、Fiona O'Sullivan, a registered counselor from In Contact Counseling and Training, and of course, they can go to the website, right? They can just Google and find out more about In Contact Counseling and Training. Thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you so much, Simon.